Well, hey, let's celebrate being at church together this morning, everybody. You made it. So glad you're here. And welcome to church and welcome online family. We always just want to celebrate that you made it. We woke up to some snow this morning and uh, man, there's a lot of reasons not to be in the room, but man, you made it happen. Maybe this was your New Year's resolution is just like go to church for January. Uh, so you got two weeks in maybe. Next week's really the one that makes the, all the difference. Right? Can you do three weeks of church in a row and break all of the American Christianity statistics, right? Uh, I believe we can do that here today. So uh, if you're brand new, man, we're so glad glad that you're here. We've been uh, expecting you and just glad that you're here today. Uh, we are in a series of teachings uh, called The Deeper Life Through Identity. And there's this theme throughout the year that we have of uh, pursuing the deeper life. We believe that God wants to give us this deeper experience. And there's this idea that uh, there's this thief, the enemy, that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus wants to give us life and life abundantly. And that's what we want to seek out together. And we're talking about identity. And I believe that this is one of the most important things that we can talk, we talk about. Last week, if you weren't here, I, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the message. But it was all about getting over what people think of us, getting past their view of us. This week is all about how we view others. And before we get into it too much, if you're kind of new to ACF and you don't know like how to act in the room, you're like, I'm not sure what to do. I just want to encourage you. You can talk back to me during the sermon. Like the better that you talk back to me during the sermon, the better the sermon is. So if the sermon's bad, it's your fault. I'm just telling you that. <laughs> so and if, you're, if you've been around a while, you know how this works. So uh, maybe you need some help because you don't know what to say. If you're like me, I grew up in a Baptist church. And the only time you talked to the pastor was at the potluck after the service. But you can talk to me during the service. So, like, let's say something's really true. What do you say? Amen. Amen. All right. That's, that's good. That's good. Let's say it's something that you need more of. You might say something like, come on, come on. Yep. And let's say it hurts, but it hurts good. What might you say? Ouch. Ouch. All right. So three words. Amen. Come on. And ouch. And I'm, I'm going to be watching for you. We'll see who jumps in. Anyway, uh, just uh, encourage you to engage. And, and all of that by the way, is just, I, I, want, I want you to just focus. I want you to, want you to continue to listen. I believe the Spirit has something for you today, and I want your attention to be fully on what He has to say to you this morning. So we're talking about identity in this series, and man, I was praying uh, for you this morning and, and, and just over this message, and I just felt like God said, like, this is the battle of our day. Like, I really believe identity is the battle of our day. Um, I like to study World War II and all of the history and the things that happened because of, of that war. And, you know, I, I love uh, movies like, or, or series like Band of Brothers, you know, and Saving Private Ryan. And, and uh, if you know anything about uh, the battle at Normandy, what you know is that Normandy really was the tipping point for the war. Uh, it really was the, the battle that made all the difference for all the, the subsequent battles, but had that not been won, many would have been lost, but since it was won, the, the war was really over at that point. And what I want you to know today is I, I believe that identity is our Normandy. That I, this is really the beachhead of our day. This is the battle that we have to win. There is an enemy that is attacking us and our children on the front of identity. And I want you to just see the gravity of this today and know that whether you're uh, 16 years old or 60 years old, uh, you still need to know who you are. And I'll tell you what, I know 16-year-olds who know who they are in Jesus, and I know 60-year-olds that are still trying to figure it out. So this is not like a, a battle for just young people. I believe that this is the battle that we need to lean in on. When we know who we are, we will win a lot of other battles. And if we don't know who we are, we will lose a lot of other battles and be taken away from God's best for us. And so I think we have to start with what is identity? It's a good question to ask. I'd define it this way. Identity 
is our core answer to the question, who am I? So once again, if I'd asked you today, who are you, what would you say? You might say, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a mechanic, you know, I'm a mother, uh, I'm a student. Maybe you might bring up a talent, I'm a basketball player, or a football player, or you might bring up something that you've done or some places you've been, but really, really, what is the answer to who are you? We really need one answer to this question. We talked last week about this idea that if you, when you become a Christian, the, the singular answer to the question, you need to hear this, the singular qu- answer to the question, who am I, is that I am a son of God, or I am a daughter of God. You don't need that answer and a hundred other answers. You need one singular answer. And what, what we do oftentimes is we confuse attributes with identity. And, and I, want, I want to make sure you don't do this because this kind of walks us down an unhealthy road of finding our identity in other things. We have one identity, not many identities. Again, this is the confusion we find ourselves in. We have one identity, and for those who are in Jesus, it is that we are alive in Christ. We are children of God, sons and daughters of God. It's not what you do, it's not where you've been, it's not your accomplishments. You see, for so many people, this is the issue of our day, so many people, the, cro- the quality of your work determines the level of your worth. Like, like if I'm doing something good and, and, and maybe my job's going well or the things I'm putting myself into, my children are succeeding and you know, the bank account is increasing, then, then man, I, I'm good, that's the level of my worth. But when it flips around and my job's not going so well, my children aren't doing well, my my work isn't going well, then my, my worth begins to diminish. And, and I think this is so much of, of why I think people hate their jobs. It's because we don't know who we are. Like, we don't know who we are apart from what we do. And so when what we do feels like, man, I don't know if I like that, then it's like, I don't know if I like myself. And as a pastor, as a pastor, I can find my identity in, in ministry. And I just want you to know, this is something I've been praying about for years. Even like almost nine years ago, I stepped in to be a lead pastor, a teaching pastor here at ACF. And I went on a journey with identity because I knew that, man, it would be a temptation to get my identity from you. And what you need to know is that I, I need to be separate from that. And I made the commitment that, man, I am, I am a child of God. I am a son of God before I am a pastor. And that, that being a pastor is not part of my identity. It's an attribute, an expression of who God has made me to be. So, so that's my purpose. That's my, 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 uh, my job. But it's not who I am. So here's the good news about that. If ACF just like crushes it this next year, I'm going to be like celebrating that. But if it's who I am, I would become an arrogant, prideful person, right? And that's what happens. Like when it goes really well, you know, like when you've had really good success, like the business took off really well, or you just had a great uh, 2023 and you're looking at the numbers and you're like, we're crushing that. If that's who you are, you will be prone to pride. You'll start to think, look what I did. I'm pretty incredible. And then guess what happens next year? If the numbers go down, if, if things don't turn out like you wanted them to, now all of a sudden you're caught up in shame and self-doubt, right? This is the like back and forth, up and down of somebody that doesn't know who they are. When we know who we are, we can move forward and go like, hey, God bless the church, praise God. Like if our, if our attendance in the next year doubles, praise God, that's great. That's not me, that's not who I am. If I preach this sermon and you all leave and you're like, I'm going to do nothing with that, I didn't hear any of it, and then our church shrinks down to nothing, I'm going to be praying for our church, but it's not who I am. And and maybe you see this as a parent. See, I I felt this before where when I don't know who I am, I can't love my children well. Because when, when, when little Billy, that's not one of my kids' names, maybe it's your kid's name, when little Billy says something wrong, if you don't know who you are, 
then, then you, get, you get hit in the identity when they do the wrong thing, right? And so now when you should be leading them and loving them and, and disciplining them for their betterment, now all of a sudden you're leading from your own lack of identity, right? And, and that's where the rage and frustration and anger comes from is that we don't know who we, we are, right? There's a lot of parents who are trying to get their kids to succeed, right, in the areas that you didn't succeed, right? I want my daughter to, to, to go off to college because I didn't, I didn't do it. And so she's got to succeed because I don't know who I am apart from my, 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 uh, what feels like failures in my life or the things that I didn't accomplish. And this is just way too much pressure. It's causing us not to love the people in our lives. There's so many different examples of this, but this is, this is all coming from really the narrative that we're given from the culture that we live in. And culture says this. Culture says identity is achieved. And some of you, maybe you feel that pressure. You're 17 years old, and uh, it's coming into college, and everybody's like, you got to go, you got to go crush it at life. You got to go earn your place in the world, right? You don't have anything until you go make your mark. Identity is achieved, and, and, and that's just like a burden and a load to, to go through life in, where Jesus says this, that identity is received, that you don't get to choose to be adopted into the family of God. He chooses you, it's an invitation, sure, you, you made a decision to follow Jesus, you received that invitation, but you don't get to take credit for your own salvation. You don't get to take credit for your own adoption. It's a free gift, and when you are received into the family of God, that now defines your entire life, right? In fact, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you got baptized. I hope you did. And when you got baptized, when you went under the water, it was a symbol, not just of part of you being dead, but literally all of you. And as you come up out of the water, it's that now it's not you who is alive, but Christ in you. And what you're going to see in the book of Ephesians is that literally this is now who you are. And, and if you read any of Paul's letters, you just like hear this in this man's voice. As he talks about himself, he's like, I'm just merely a servant to God. That's all I am. Is I'm just like a servant to God. That, that, that's, that, that is what my purpose is because of who I am as a son of God. Ephesians 2.1 says this. If you want to open up, we're actually doing about a chapter a week, and uh, by the way, we're, no, we're just touching the surface. You have got to get an ACF group if you're not in one. Um, go to the, the welcome table after service. We want to get you in a group. We had a great conversation in our group this week about identity, but we're just going to kind of skim across this a little bit. But uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says this. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So what Paul's going to get into in a moment, he's starting off with who you were. So if in Christ what you are is an adopted living son or daughter of God, then outside of Christ, what does the Bible say you are? Dead. It says that like you're literally dead in your sins. Uh, one of the things, this is kind of a weird side hobby. Once in a while we'll be on vacation somewhere, and my wife and I will go walking through cemeteries. Is there anybody else weird in this room that likes to walk through a cemetery once in a while? Yeah, I know, it's kind of strange, but we'll go walk through cemeteries, and I like to read the headstones, read the names and when they lived, and it's interesting to, like, to, to think in your mind, who, who was this person? But what I've never done walking through a cemetery is, is thought to myself, what's the identity of all of these people, right? Why? Because they're dead, right? They're dead. They're at different levels of decomposition, right? Some are new, some are old, but they're all dead. Who they are is dead. They're just literally dead. 
And, and this describes us as well. When we were apart from Christ, we were literally dead. You see, nothing you achieve in this world matters until you deal with your spiritual deadness. It doesn't matter what you accomplish. It doesn't matter the goals that you reach, the degrees that you get, the money that you earn. What matters is who are you? And I promise you, no matter what you get in this life, you will still be asking that question. I know a lot of very successful people. From the outside, it's like, man, you, you are nailing it at life. And their deepest, their deepest need is just to know who they are. The, the thing that keeps them up at night really is an identity issue. And he talks about your sins and trespasses. He says, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. It's interesting that two different words are used here, sins and trespasses. Sins, we talk about sin in this church. If you're like, I'm uncomfortable with that word, then you're in the wrong church. We're going to talk about sin. And the reason we talk about it is because sin is simply when we, any time that we accept less than God's best for our lives. God has designed you in a certain way to operate in a certain way that leads to flourishing in other ways when you operate, it's going to lead to death. And when you, when you operate in that way that leads to death, that's called sin. It's in, in any way that isn't God's design for your life. And so we all have sinned. So there's sins, but then there's also trespasses. And I guess here's a couple of examples. Like a trespass would be something that you know you shouldn't do, and yet you do it any, anyway. Which you're all good Christians, so you only do the things that God asks you to do. But some of us once in a while know the right thing, and we do the other thing. Anybody in the room ever do that? Anybody? Some amaze in the room? Even Paul says, like, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. And, you know, he, the, he wrote, like, the new, almost all of the New Testament, and he struggles with that, too. So, like, a sin would be something like this. I remember back in, um, back in high school, I was hunting, in, hunting whitetail in Missouri, and I was on this property with some friends, and they kind of told me where to go and, you know, sent me on this kind of mission to a certain area. And they said, hey, you know, turn left to go down this creek, and then when you see the oak tree, turn right, and, you know, when you go through this gorge, turn the other direction. I got all turned around. I'm just kind of whistling, walking through the woods, you know, with my rifle, and I stop, and it's just dead quiet, and I hear, hey, and I look up, and there's a guy in a tree, like, right above me, and I'm like, I am dead, and who is this guy, right? Like, what, this is private property, and I realized it's his private property, right? I have wandered across the line. And, uh, and, and essentially, like, that's kind of like a sin. Like, I didn't know I was there. I was doing my best to be where I needed to be. And I still crossed the line, even though I didn't know it. And some of you are you're in that place today where you're not ready to call yourself a Christian or to receive the gospel yet. And you're like, I think my life's doing pretty good. But the Bible says that you are dead in your sin. In other words, you've crossed the line with God whether you know it or not. And it still separates you from God. That's what sin does. But then there's like another example. There's trespasses. And trespasses are like intentional. Like when you cross the line on purpose. And um, I'll tell you a story, but this is one of those don't do as your pastor does, do as he says story. Like, anyway, don't follow my example. This was back in college. My buddy and I were in our dorm room and, or our apartment. And we were just kind of hanging out. We we're like, man, we need like a clubhouse with a little more space to hang out. And then it popped in our minds that in the local city park, there were these air traffic towers with like a bunch of equipment on the top and a big platform. And we're like, that would be pretty cool to have a couch up on top of the tower. So we go find this couch behind this building. I think it was trash. We assumed it was. Threw in the back of the truck, drove to the park. And as we got to the air traffic tower, there was a barbed wire fence. And there was a sign on it that said, what, what do you think it said? No trespassing. What do you think we did as a couple young Christian men? 
We trespassed. Yes, we did. Um, so don't do as I do. But anyway, um, the couch was up there for like a week straight. It was awesome. Um, we trespassed. It wasn't the right thing to do, but, but we, knew, we knew the right thing, and we didn't do it. And, and, and in many times in life, we know the right thing, we don't do it. He says that you are dead in your sins and trespasses. So here's the question. What does the identity of being dead do to our relationship with God? Here's another question. What does the identity of being dead do to our relationship with others? Like, how does this impact our lives? That's an important thing. If I want a new identity, what's wrong with my current identity if I'm dead? Ephesians 2, 12. It says, remember that you were, there's that word again, this is who you were, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is who you were, separated from God, separated from each other, divided. And, and what he's dealing with is really a very divided church. And as we look at the church today, uh, we have not moved past this. In so many ways, we're still very divided. So you've got the Jews and the Gentiles, and the Jews since the days of Abraham are God's chosen people. And even though they were God's chosen people and God gave them the way to live. They found themselves in, you know, falling into dead religion and rejecting God's best and worshiping idols and, and really resenting anybody that wasn't like them. Which again, I just, I look at the world and I'm like, man, there is nothing new under the sun. When you read the Bible, you're like, it's the same problems, different day, right? It's always the same problems. Is that we think we're better, we think that we're above others. And so, man, that's, that's who the Jews were. The Gentiles were all of the non-Jews, these were anybody who was coming to faith in Christ that wasn't part of this chosen people. And so they've been worshiping idols and following other gods and living in just the, the, the sickness of depravity. And then they come into the church. And now you've got this blend of two different groups of people in the church, and you better believe there were some fireworks. And this is, what, this is why Paul is dealing with this, is he's trying to bring unity to the church, right? And I know we struggle with the, some of the same things here today, is division, he says, remember, you were separated from Christ, separated from the promises, the, the gifts that he had offered his people, having no hope in without God in the world. And, and, and the Jews, man, there was so much division there that they did everything to keep the Gentiles out. Even there, you know, there's the temple, and, and it, you should look up a map of the temple. I don't have one today, but the way the temple was designed was literally built in the way that, that would show you, like, who you are. Because some people were allowed into certain places and other people were not. It was all based on who you are by that society. And so there's like in the center of the temple, there's like the Holy of Holies. It's where the presence of God dwelt. But then outside of the temple, there's this, this place called the Court of the Gentiles. And if you were not a Jew, this is as close as you could get. This was as far into the temple as you could get, was into the Court of Gentiles. And, and on the wall that was keeping the Gentiles out was this inscription. If you put that picture up. Anybody read this? Yeah, me neither. Um, but I looked it up. So this inscription was on the wall. Here's what it literally says. Any Gentile who enters will be put to death. So this isn't just like, oh, we don't like each other. This is like, I'm going to kill you, right? Like, I'm gonna, I am, we are so different. You do not cross this line or I will literally kill you. Now you're here today and you're like, I'm so glad we don't have that kind of division in the church today. But, but listen, you don't, have to, you don't have to try to kill somebody to kill them in your soul and in your mind. You can treat somebody like they're dead, right? 
Like you can walk past people in this room as if they don't exist, as if they might as well be dead. And I will just tell you, we're probably all guilty of this. In the same way, the same prejudice, the the same separation exists, I think, in many ways in the church today. Verse 13 goes on, it says, but now, oh, this is good news. I don't want you to skip those two words, but now. In other words, this is who you were, okay? You are something different, but now in Christ Jesus. You're going to see this this language all through the book of Ephesians is in Christ, in him, in Christ, in him. Why? Because that's now who you are. Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus of who they are, of their identity. He knows that for them to follow through and to be the body of Christ means that they're going to have to know who they are. So when somebody asks you, what is the primary answer to who you are? Your answer is, I am in Christ. That's that's literally the end of the story. I am in Christ. He says, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Man, you were separated from God separated from each other, and because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of the blood of Christ, there can now be a connection. You see, sin brings separation, but Christ brings connection. Do you get that? Sin brings separation, Christ brings connection. He says you are separate, but now you are brought together because of the blood of Christ, because the blood of Christ is what was paid for your sins. He says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There's so much stuff there. This is so good. He talks about these laws and ordinances Do you know that, man, like the Jews were given laws, but those laws weren't enough for them. They thought, let's make some more laws so that we can keep more separation from the Gentiles. Let's create so many laws that they they won't even be able to keep them straight in their head that they'll know that they're outsiders. He said, Jesus, man, he's broken through that wall of these laws and ordinances that have been created to separate, and he's brought unity And that unity, he says, has killed the hostility. It's killed the hostility. I want you to think for a minute, who are you hostile with? Who has hostility with you? Maybe a definition of hostility is what we need. Here's here's hostility is simply conflict, opposition, or resistance in thought or principle. So who in this room or who in the church or who in Christianity, I'm talking to the Christians in the room, do you have conflict, opposition, or resistance with in thought or principle. Maybe it's someone that you're at odds with. Maybe it's something they did, something they said, something they should have done that you wanted them to do. I think this is a real issue in the church, and it's keeping us from being the people that God is inviting us to become, is that we become so hostile with one another. Uh, Another word for hostility could be anger. Uh, Do you have an anger problem? Do you have anger with anybody else in the church? I actually believe that in many ways the church today has a real issue with anger. Um, anger is the word, it's like the air we breathe in this world, isn't it? Like we live in this outrage culture, the cancel culture, the like, man, we just, we have to be angry at somebody all the time. 
That's kind of the world that we live in. And I think it's seeped its way into the church. You need to know, like, you don't have to be angry. You don't have to carry the weight of anger around. Now, you might think, well, man, but people are stupid. People are idiots. Shouldn't I just be angry at them? Like, here's the deal. You need to prepare yourself for this fall because um, it's, it's an election year and it's going to get crazy. I just promise you. So we're going to need to have our heads screwed on straight. And what you're going to start to hear is somebody in your house. It, it wouldn't be you. It'd be somebody else. Somebody else in your house will be watching the TV and they're going to say something like, I can't believe some idiot would think that. I can't believe somebody would ever believe that. What kind of person would say that? And, and the words that are coming out of your mouth, what they're showing you is the, the separation between you and other people. And, and, and we, we talk about this a lot, man. Like, you don't, you don't try to expect somebody who doesn't follow Jesus or think the way of God to say things that align with Jesus, right? It's like when, when my, my child is at the table and spills their milk across the table, you don't go, you idiot. They're a child. They're going to spill the milk. They're going to say things that children say. And when you hear somebody say things that don't align with what you believe about the world or with, with Jesus, like, that should not confuse you is what I'm saying. We shouldn't be so shocked when there are laws that are passed that you're like, that doesn't look right. Well, it's not right. You live in a world that desperately needs Jesus. That's why the church is here. It's why you have a job. It's why we exist. I was looking up some uh, information about how anger affects us. Do you know that in the two hours after any kind of angry outburst, your risk of a heart attack doubles. That's wild, right? That, that's how deeply this affects us. According to one Harvard study, merely thinking about a moment that you were angry actually lowers the level of your immune system and you're more likely to get sick. Uh, anger exacerbates anxiety disorders. In fact, in, uh, in, in men, anger is connected to depression. And so I was reading about how, man, like, especially in the minds of men, if you're somebody who struggles with anger, you probably are somebody who struggles with depression. It's causing some of that. Um, there's another study in the University of Mich- Michigan that said, and this was a 17-year study, that showed that people who get angry more often literally have a lower lifespan. It's killing, your anger is killing you, literally. And, and, but yet we, I think, sometimes we just defend our anger. And you're like, Brian, I'm not angry. I'm just offended. Same diff, right? Like, we're just arguing semantics. But once again, all of this comes back to knowing who you are. When you know who you are, you don't have to be so dang angry. You really don't. You can separate yourself from other people's decisions and not be so angry. And and it, it helps you to love people. If you don't know who you are, you won't love people at all. Because what they do will always be a threat to who you are. We we see this in many ways. I, I see this as a parent. When my children fail me, if I don't know who I am, I'm going to parent them from my own pride and my own fear instead of what's best for them. Does that make sense? So, parents, you know what this is like. You know when when that child says something or does something that's kind of a little off key, and you're like, man, that makes me feel like a terrible parent. And and now I don't know who I am, and now I'm I'm just going to rage at them. Why? Because they've threatened my identity. But when you know who you are, you can actually parent them in the way that they need. You can just do what they need, they need done, right? And it's the same way with people you work with, with, with people in the church. You get to serve them well and love them well when you know who you are. If you don't know who you are, you will not love people well. You've got to know your identity. In all of this, what Paul is doing is he's built a framework. In all of this stuff, like this is who you were. 
right? Dead in your sins, lost in your sins and transgressions. I I want you to hear this. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. When you remember who you were, you'll be able to love people for who they are. Some of you, the reason you don't love people for who they are is because you've forgotten who you were. Now, I've heard people say this. (laughs) A lot of people who have been around the church for a while, they're like, I was pretty much born a Christian. Can I just clarify this? No, you weren't. No one was born a Christian. I don't care if you grew up in the Bible Belt, right? I don't care if you, you know, like when you were four, had a Bible verse tattooed to your arm. I don't, I don't care. Whatever it is, you were not born a Christian. You were born dead in your sins. The Bible literally says it's like you're stillborn in death. And that means, like, you can't do anything about that. And at some point in your life, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the circumstances that God brought you through, through Him drawing you to Himself, at some point you said, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to give my heart to Him. And, and let's, let's be honest, when you did that, you didn't know what you were getting yourself into? There was a lot you didn't understand about God or what, what it meant. All you knew is you needed a Savior, and, and you thought, man, I think Jesus is it. And you submitted your life to Him, and you went from death to life. If you don't remember who you were, you will never love people for who they are. Because you'll forget what you've been saved out of. You've, you'll forget how grateful you should be for, for your relationship with God. Now, some of you are still back on that anger thing. You're like, I think angry, anger's fine, you know. Like, doesn't the Bible talk about that we should be angry? It kind of does. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin, right? Okay. Brian, the Bible just said, be angry and do not sin, right? What's interesting is a lot of people, they want to argue for anger about sin. Shouldn't we be angry about sin? But the most, most of the time when people want to be angry about sin, it's about someone else's sin. Can we be honest? If you're here going, Brian, shouldn't I be angry about sin? Are you going, my sin? Shouldn't I be angry about my own sin? No, we're, all, we're always thinking about somebody else's instead of our own. The Bible says, hey, there is a time... For anger, but then that verse continues. Praise God. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So in Alaska, you get two hours <laughs> right now to deal with your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Have you ever thought about your anger being an invitation to the devil? Have you ever thought about your anger being like, I want to give the devil some opportunities in my life? I think I'll be angry. See, nobody thinks about it like that, but this verse says that's literally what you're doing. Is by living in anger, you're giving opportunities to the devil. Some of you are like, well, doesn't God get angry? Yes, he does, and he's also perfect, and you're not. God gets angry, and in God's anger, it's always perfect anger because God's anger is always motivated by love. Is your anger always motivated by love? Let's be real, it's not. Neither is mine. And there are other things about God that, like, they're for God. They're not for you. Do you know that? Like, there are parts of what God does that, that we shouldn't do. Like, like, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says God. In other words, vengeance is not yours. You and I, we don't get to do vengeance. Why? Because when we do, it destroys us and others. We never do vengeance right. So God's like, you guys should leave vengeance to me because you're going to screw this one up big time. So vengeance is something that's God. Judgment is God's. God gets to be the judge. You don't. Praise the Lord, right? Praise God. He doesn't make us judge. Hey, you guys figure out who's in and who's out. What a disaster would that be? 
No, God gets to be judged. And ultimately, anger is God's. Like, there's a moment for anger. But when he says, hey, don't let the sun go down on anger, he's not talking about just literally like the daylight thing, although that'd probably be a good goal. You know, like, let's say, let's just make a goal as a church that your anger only lasts as long as like the shortest day in Alaska. Let's, let's, let's say that. Like, that'd be a great goal. It, it, like, what if you didn't have to lay in bed at night working through your anger? That'd be good. Lay in bed at night, walking through the narrative of, oh, I should have said this, and then they would have said that, and then I should have said this, right? You see, you don't realize what anger is stealing from you, but we feel like we're supposed to have it. We feel a right to it, and what I want you to hear is that that's the victim mindset. Like, you feel like a victim to somebody else's decisions, to what they said. You see, the victim mindset says, I have a right to hold on to anger. I have a right to this. Which is literally saying, I have a right to destroy myself with anger. I have a right to let what you did, what you said, what you didn't do, what I wanted you to do, come in and destroy my life. That's the victim mindset. But here's the good news. In Christ, we are not victims, we are victors. Amen? Like we have a victory. Jesus has victory. We just read he's overcome our sin, right? We were dead, but now by the blood of Christ, we were free from sin. The victory mindset says, I have the power to let this go. And I want you to know this. You have the power to let go of all offense and all anger in your life. You really do. It's, it's within you. It's not your power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working through you to help you to let these things go. So I want you to just kind of take, a, take an assessment. As, as people think of you at work, at home, I want you to ask this question. Are you known for building walls or for tearing walls down. He talked about that Christ has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. But are you kind of like tossing bricks back on the wall? Or are you tearing walls down? It, when it comes to the church, do you kind of have this view of like JV versus varsity Christians? This happens a lot. This is why like ACF Church, we're similar to this church in Ephesus because we've got people who have been around the church for a long time. You feel like you have a right to be in this room. And there are others of you, you've been a Christian for like 25 seconds. And you're here and you're like, I don't know the Bible. And if you've been here for a while, you can look down on people for what they don't know or, what, or for, the, for the sins in their life that God has yet to sanctify. If you're new here or a new Christian, you can, you can kind of act as like an outsider and assume everybody's judging you when they're not. And so we can both be divided based on where we're at. You can kind of have this view of big sins and little sins. Just tossing another brick on the wall like, oh man, that's, that person's got some stuff they're dealing with and I can sit by them in church, but I would never invite them over for dinner. Maybe you should. I want you to think about like the biggest sin you can imagine that exists in somebody else's life in this church. Find somebody who struggles with it and invite them to dinner. That's how you know you've made progress. I'm not talking about tolerance. You see, this is the issue. We think, oh, it means to tolerate that person. No, Jesus doesn't tolerate you. He loves you and dies for you. So we don't just tolerate people in the church. We love them. We literally give ourselves. We give up our time, our energy for the people that, man, are, are so different than us. Maybe it's just old versus young. That's a big division that can happen in the church. You're young and you're like, oh, you're too old to have anything relevant to say about my life. And I just promise you, you've got some stuff to learn. There's some wisdom in this room that could save you a lot of heartache if you just listen. And, and so you need to find, if it's not your parents, you're like, my parents are just, it's like in one ear and out the other. And find somebody. There's a lot of adults in this room that would love to just help you and walk with you. And maybe you're here in this room and you're, you're older and you're like, 
I can't stand young people. World's going to hell in a handbasket. It's always those dang millennials, you know. It's a, it's, you know it's every generation hates the previous generation and thinks they're screwing it up, you know. Like they did it for you and your generation and the next generation will do it for the next. And whatever it is, I think these are walls that we build. What if we begin to tear, tear these walls down? The dividing wall of hostility. When you remember who you were, you'll be able to love people for who they are. Maybe you're like, I can't do any of that, Brian, and the reason is you've forgotten what Christ has saved you from. Three things about hostility as we move on. Ephesians 2.3 says, And you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So first thing, we were all deserving of hostility at one point. Children of wrath, that, that defines you. That's your identity. That's your name tag without Jesus. <laughs> Which is like, that's not a great name tag, right? Nobody's going out and getting that printed on a t-shirt, right? Like, hey, who are you? Oh, child of wrath. Cool. That's great. Can I order a cheeseburger? Like, you don't do that. We don't want that. But that's literally who we are. That's, that's literally who we are apart from Christ. Hostile to God. Divided with the people that are different than us. Separated from those who are around us because of what they said, what they did, and who they are. We were all deserving of hostility at some point. Can you think of a moment where you just deserve for somebody to come down on you and they didn't? Just want you to get that moment in your mind. Just remember the grace of that moment. I think of a time where, this is like a few years ago, um, I get distracted when my, my, I've got a lot on my mind and I just won't think about what I'm doing sometimes. And, you know, one morning I went and hopped in my truck, had my coffee, kind of set it down, started the truck, threw it in, in reverse and just slapped on the gas and then all of a sudden I felt a little resistance. And I looked in my mirror and there was my, my, my wife's car was right behind me. Forgot to look. I throw it in park, and I'm like, this is not going to be good. And I get out, and not only did I hit her car, but I'd left a hitch in the truck. And so it was like through the grill, into the radiator, and this car was cherry, just beautiful car. And so I pull forward, and I'm just sick to my stomach. And, and, and uh, Amanda loved this car, and uh, it was the one she got when she went to college. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be really, really bad. So I walk in, and I'm kind of like preparing myself for the worst. And I was like, honey, I backed into your car, and it's, <laughs> it's pretty bad. And I'll never forget her, her response. Her response was this. She goes, can it be fixed? And I said, well, yeah. And she goes, then let's fix it. And I was like, praise the Lord. Is that it? I was almost like, is this? I'm like, ready for the, ready for the punch. You know, like, that was it. That was it. I mean, think of a moment where, like, you deserve someone's worst, and they gave you their best. This is what Jesus did for you. We were all deserving of hostility. Like, you deserved every bit of it. You're like, well, how bad was that hostility that I deserved? It was displayed perfectly on the cross. As Christ was beaten, bruised, ridiculed, and ultimately, ultimately crucified, that's how much hostility you and I deserve. And yet you get given life and adopted into the family. What a free gift that is. Second thing. Jesus tears down the walls of hostility between God and man. That's what Jesus does. Back to the temple. Inside the temple, I, I mentioned the holy place and then the holy of holies. And between the holy place and the holy of holies, which is where the presence of God dwelt, there was something separated, separating them, and it was just this curtain. And again, if you were to walk into the holy of holies, you would just literally die. And once a year, the high priest would, he would come in and he would cross that barrier and make a sacrifice. Just once a year, he would cross that line. 
But if you were to just go across that line, you would die. But here's what Christ did for us. Philippians 2 says that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he took on the form of a servant. He became like us. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas, is that Jesus comes to us. You see, all other religion says you got to get to God, but Christianity is all about God coming to you. It's, it's kind of like, like this. I'm going to make you uncomfortable here. I'm going to break the fourth wall. Do you guys know what the fourth wall is? Anybody? The fourth wall, if you don't know, it's kind of a film term. Can I sit next to you? Hey, buddy. I'm not uncomfortable. Uh, I'll make you uncomfortable. Good to see you. Um, man, the fourth wall, this is like, uh, anybody watch The Office? You've watched The Office? Yeah, the, the Office is, it was one of the first shows that was known, you guys are so uncomfortable. You're like, should I look at the screen? Should I look at him? This, is, this feels wrong in every way, doesn't it? It's because it is, yeah. Uh, this is, it's, it, the office, what they do is they break that wall, and the, the person would look right in the camera, and all of a sudden you'd, you'd feel like you were there with them, you know? And uh, it became really a popular thing, and it's kind of this idea that, like, that's what Christ did, is he, like, broke the wall, he broke the barrier, where, like, God was far off, right? In the Holy of Holies, the presence of God was there, and then all of a sudden, 2,000 years ago, he was this close, he was, like, right here. And I don't think we think of, like, how big of a deal that is. Um, like, I remember when uh, we first started having kids. Cadence was really young. And we were on this road trip. And we had to stop and change a diaper. And pulled into this old truck stop that I'd been into hundreds of times. And, you know, you stop, use the bathroom, and leave. And, and I got this little baby. And I'm, like, walking into the bathroom. And open the door. And they've always got those little fold-down things to, you know, change the diaper on. And it had never occurred to me the level of filth in this bathroom. <laughs> do your parents know what I'm talking about? Like where you just never notice because it was just you. You just go in, you go out. Now I'm holding this child, this like perfectly clean, this little baby. She smells like baby powder in heaven, right? Like she's just this perfectly clean little child. And I walk into this, like, this truck stop bathroom and there's like graffiti on the walls. Who's got time for that, by the way? And the floor just looks like stuff's growing on it. And like this little fold-down thing, I don't think it's ever been cleaned. And it's just... I never noticed it till I had this perfect, clean little child in this place. And this is like, this is what Christ did for us. I mean, I don't think we get this holy, separate, different God coming to earth and being with mankind. Entering into our filth. Entering into the sickness of humanity. Ultimately dying on a cross for us. It's a beautiful gift. And I think if we begin to understand that reality... We become more thankful. And ultimately, what we do is we start to love other people a little bit more. We start to get, man, like, if God would do that for me, maybe I can invite that person over for dinner. Maybe I don't have to judge them because that's jo God's job. Maybe I can serve them. Maybe I can love them. The third thing about hostility is this. Because of Jesus, we are compelled to tear down walls of hostility in our world. When you know who you are, in Christ, you will begin to tear down those walls of hostility. Why? Because you know who you were. You know where you've come from. You know what you've been saved out of. And I want, to, I want you to think about the moment that Jesus went to the cross. Two, like, crazy things happened in that moment that we read in the Gospels. The first is this, that the graves of the dead saints were opened. And it was like the walking dead. It was this crazy moment. I can't even, like, quite get my head wrapped around this moment. Like, people came out of graves when Jesus died on the cross. It's, it's wild. Then we know Jesus did the same. So that happened. Then the next thing that happened that we read is that the curtain in the temple between the holy place and the holy of holies was torn from top to bottom. 
And in this moment, it represents this reality that God says, hey, the dividing wall of hostility between me and you is gone. I came to be with my people. And this is where the story ends, my friends, is that God will live with man and man will live with God. There will be no curtain of separation. And so you need to just know this, like you have full access to God. Total, you don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a church. You have access to God every moment of your life. You get to come before the holy God, be with him, to know him, and he, he's there with you. You have total access to him, and that reality is what motivates our love for the world. It's why we exist as a church. It's why we will never stop reaching those who Jesus loves in our city. We will never get comfortable in our, our own little Christian circles, just kind of getting together on Sunday morning. Why? Because what Christ did for us, we absolutely go, must go and do for others. He came to seek and save the lost, and we will do that together as a church family. This is what we exist to do. On your seat was a uh, little card when you came in. Would you pull that out real quick? This is just something, if you're new to ACF, we do this every week. And this is how we try not to waste our time together and just, you know, get together. We actually want to take a next step. And I want you just to check one of these boxes. And, and as you do, uh, this week, we just want to text you. We're not going to spam you with a bunch of stuff. We're going to pray for you by name. And uh, we want to text you just a reminder of this is something that God was doing in your heart so that you might take a step forward. By the way, just real quick, did, has anybody gotten one of those texts before in the room? Just raise your hand if you have. Okay, so it's working. Good. It's functioning. So I want you to just, if that's you today and you're beginning a relationship with Jesus, would you let us know? If you want to make that decision right now to step into a relationship with him, we would love to join with you. By the way, we had 20 people make that decision last week. Praise God for that. Yeah. So good love to get some resources in your hand for that. Maybe it's that you need to invite someone who thinks differently over for dinner. If that's you, I want you to just consider taking that next step. Maybe you need to set some limits on divisive media. Be careful what the first thing is that you read and see in the morning. And maybe you need to initiate reconciliation in a broken relationship. You've been waiting for them, and God's inviting you to do it. Make the, make the phone call. Send the text. Set up the meeting. Would you pray for us? Or would you let me pray for us? God, thank you so much for this moment and thank you for this time together, God. And thank you for loving us. God, we can't believe that you stepped down into the filth of our existence. And yet you did. So God, I pray we would remember who we were, dead in our sins and trespasses. And yet, God, because of your blood, the dividing wall between us and you is broken down. May we as ACF Church be known for tearing down walls and not building them. So God, I pray we could have the courage and the vision to take a step this week to move forward and to see healing spread in our community. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.